it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. Realize that you can watch all of the shit that's out there. Don't let either company trick you into thinking it's a us versus them thing. Just enjoy the wrestling. Whether it's WWE or AEW or NXT, you guys don't have to choose. You can watch it all. That's rad. Fight forever, Guardian! I think you broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Well, I've uh, again I've failed already. Another week where I began the show by saying the word well, like I'm a slightly... More well, well, I'm not as oh, bad. for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm not as bad as Reagan was, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, it's HIC Talk Radio, the new era, which is really returning to the old era mixed with the new era. Uh, I'm Dan Calchigo, Dan Lowry Three, Mark Go Thompson, Go Thompson on Twitter, Craig Lagans at. I know it's hard to remember, Craig Lagans. It's real hard. We'll go over that, all that stuff at the end of the show. VOCNation.com. If you're on a smartphone, go to your your, uh, podcast app. This is going to be a banger. This is how the day's already gone. Uh, Go to your podcast. Yeah. Go to your podcast app and type in VOC Nation Radio Network. With that being said, this past weekend, which I forgot it was this past weekend, that's how the days have gone, was AEW Full Gear. (laughs) And let me just start off the conversation by saying this. And this is, and it's ironic because I was having this conversation on Twitter with a bunch of friends in the first place. So it's, it's interesting you brought this up. Uh, I watch, I don't watch AEW for any of the elite guys. I, I don't give a damn about the young bucks. I don't care about Cody. Okay. I don't care okay. about uh, Kenny Omega. Keep going. Uh, I don't. I. Yep. I, I don't care about Darby Allen, which we will talk about in a little while. <laughs> come on, come on. 
I'm super excited about this. Uh, I do care about King, Eddie Kingston. I like Eddie Kingston. I was so excited that Eddie Kingston got a world title shot. Yeah, I love Eddie. Uh, totally, totally worth it. I love um, <laughs> Hangman Page, but the rest of the main cast. Hangman Page is the most undervalued professional wrestler in wrestling. Craig, do you agree or disagree? Well, <laughs> that, that's how you. That's how you do well. Well. If you're gonna start a well with a in a pro wrestling uh, podcast, you don't do a, a well, Reagan. You do a well. Huh. Um, yes, um, Adam Page. Well, Adam Page is. I also feel the same way about um, uh, about Sean Spears and uh, Ricky Starks. Honestly, Ricky Starks Ricky should Starks. be a man. Oh. Dude, I felt with Ricky Starks in NWA. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, the TV but, title, his thing with 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 my boy Zicky Dice. Whoo. Yeah. But I, I watch AD. I'm like you, Dan. I, I don't care about the, the wrestlers you just mentioned either. I care about the guys that should be that have uh, a a star making vehicle on an on a national primetime wrestling show that aren't getting the um uh, the attention or the uh the angles or the matches that they deserve. I'm gonna throw this out there real quick. AEW Dark has actually some of my favorite wrestlers on it right now. Absolutely. Um Brian Pillman Jr. Mm-hmm. And that other blonde dude, they're like the new Hollywood blondes, super duper love. Uh, Serpentico um, and Luther are Project Chaos now. Um, I didn't love Luther. They they brought him in. They dropped the ball on it completely. And I feel like those two together are just pure magic. And here they are. They're just on AEW Dark. They're just some like some botch team they have there. But I feel like if you put the money behind them, it's going to be magic. It's going to be absolute gold, and it'll be a homebred team. And once again, don't don't. My favorite tag team in years is uh, whatever FTR now. Whatever they. Have I, they that's. Are. I think they're just called FTR. I don't really. Yeah. And uh, the, and then forever the revolt or whatever nonsense they are, but yeah. I just really love them. Like, and you can hate me for it. Everyone hates me for it. Why? It's fun. Why Wait, would what? Anyone hate Who has a problem with the revival? Everyone that loves the Young Bucks, clearly. Oh, get them. Oh, my God. Oh. Because I, I'm not a Young Bucks guy. Like, and, I no, and, no re- and no pure wrestling fan should be a Young Bucks guy, go. Because the Young Bucks are everything that's wrong with tag team wrestling. And what the reason why I'm glad we're getting the AEW uh, Solid Snake pay-per-view out of the way first. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid, baby. Yeah. Uh, because yes, yeah, so I I wasn't going to pay fifty bucks for it. I was going to find out what happened on you know via social media. No, the fact that FTR didn't retain their belt. You have a dream match. They're billing it a dream match, even though it wasn't for internet wrestling trolls. It was a dream match. Uh, Young Bucks versus FTR, but for FTR not to go over was the single worst thing. And I it, that's. It, that's happened in wrestling this year, and I'm including the pandemic because that should never have happened. Um, I at love all. that this is pandemic level bad. Yes, because there is no, now now FTR just another tag team on AEW. Now it seems like no one can stop the Almighty Young Bucks, and I knew this was the plan going from a year ago when they had to crown all their first champions. Omega didn't get a belt. The Young Bucks didn't get a belt. So this is the, the the idea is to have all the elite have the belts, and they didn't have it for a year. So now all the elite will have belts, and and when and um, Kenny Omega goes over uh, Moxley somewhere 
maybe before the end of the year or kind of get to the AEW first anniversary, all the elite will have the belts, which is what their whole grand design was from the beginning. Which is what pisses me off about AEW right now. So, so okay, you're not, you guys both not Young Bucks fans. No, but I, I like the Young Bucks. I don't think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But okay, yeah, that's fine. I understand exactly where you're coming from. There's a lot to be a middle on them. Lucha Brothers, though, is something I've, I, I want to know because I, I feel like they're something different than what the Young Bucks are compared to... Yeah, I'll tell you why Lucha Brothers are, are awesome. Because the Lucha Brothers are what people... A lot of people fell in love with on Monday nights during the golden era of the Monday Night Wars was the, the Luchadors at the, the beginning of the first That's hour. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Uh, I, let, me, let me just clear it up about the Young Bucks. I, they're, they're fine. They're good wrestlers. They're not this word elite. First of all, I think all elite wrestling is a dumb company name. But when people are like, "Well, what else would you call it?" I have no idea. So, like best friends wrestling. Best friend. Oh yes, yes, of course. But I'm just talking about as a as a as a wrestling company name. I I, I just think it's a stupid name. I, this elite thing is subjective. Best friends. The best friend. Now, to say the elite thing is subjective, they're absolutely allowed, and. I guess have claimed the right to call themselves elite. I'm not going to argue with it. Craig, you, you can argue with it in a second. <laughs> Hold on. I want you to. Stop. Stop. Uh, I, can't, I can't get over the, the merchandising product that we just made with BFW t-shirts. Yeah, best friends wrestling. No, I just, everybody, I'm just, I'm watching the Butcher and the Blade and Bunny versus the, uh, the Naturals, Dustin Rhodes and uh, uh, what's his name? Apple God. Uh, yep. Apple, I, Apple this Man. is what I want to see. Mm-hmm. I, I, I you want to watch? You want to watch Apple versus? No, I just like uh, Butcher and the Blade and Buddy yeah, that, Alley that from, dude's from an awesome metal band, by the way. <laughs> yes, he is. Matt, who does? Um, uh, Matt's the one that told me he knows the guy. Um, yeah, he's my, off, my I, friend. My friend Matt, who's originally from the Poconos, he's from our area. He grew up really around I, us. It, it, I think it's every time I die. I believe you're correct. I'll actually talk to him about it because he I streams with us on Thursdays now, and I'll ask him because he'll remember who he is. He was trying to tell me who he is. He didn't remember his wrestling name. I was like, is it this guy? He goes, oh, yeah, that's him. I, like, oh. I, used, to, I used to do the metal show on, at Rowan, and I got a free Every Time I Die t-shirt one time, and he always holds a close place to my heart because I had a free t-shirt. Well, they Listen, I, I I think very nicely of people who give me free shirts. And he's, if, you me, if you give me free stuff, I'm probably going to like you a little more. That's give right. me free stuff. Give me free stuff, baby. Hell yeah. No, I, I just – I, I the match was okay, but in no world, in no world, just to bring it back on track, I can't believe I'm the one yeah. doing that. In no world are the Young Bucks winning <laughs> – Against the revival, I, I know. don't get it. I know, no. but right. I so, the so, guys we the people we mentioned last week and the people we mentioned this week. This is why I try to watch AEW. I don't give a shit about the elite part of all elite wrestling. I don't care. This is just my personal opinion. I am not sitting here and saying f you if you disagree or f you if that's what you like. I'm just talking about me. So I do. I do want to talk about. Do you want? Are we running through the whole card? I don't want to do whole card things, but just okay. mention what pops on your head, mention, man. I just want to mention two. I have two things I want to mention. 
But I don't want to cut you guys off before if you guys have anything else you want to Did say. Did you want to, uh, Craig? You, your comment about I think the Young Bucks are fine. I know you had something to add to that. No, I, 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 I'm, the Young Bucks. If you like that kind of thing, those are the thing. Those are the kind of things those people like. And the Young Bucks have never been my my cup of tea. I just think they're a bunch of acrobats. Uh, they don't sell for for anything for anyone that they don't like. Um, if you've seen one one Young Bucks match, you've seen them all. Um, and the match, the fact that they had to go 30 minutes with FTR was really a travesty because there's no reason that match had to go 30 minutes. Uh, they have to kick out of everything, and uh, they kick out of everything that FTR has. The, the best, the vintage double team moves from some of the greatest tag teams of all time. They kick out everything, yet they win with a single super kick. That's it. That's all it takes to beat the best tag team in the world. And, they, uh, by the way, by the way they, they, they've hit that super kick 75 times earlier in the match. Yeah. So, right. just, yeah. So, one more is just not good. It's going to it's gonna uh, be the so I'm sick to death of them. And my last AEW point, and I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, has anyone ever seen Private Party and the Street Profits together at the same place at the same time? No. <laughs> no, I'm glad you said it. That's it's always going to – it's always bugged me, and it will continue to bug me until I see those two tag teams in the same place at the same time because you cannot tell me that there's any difference. You, the, is it a conspiracy theory? You think the same people? Uh, yeah, it's a C O N conspiracy. Yes. One, 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 one clearly makes reference to the drinking. The other hides it in red cups. Yeah, but still, I've never seen them both at the same place at the same time. So I just, I find it. It's funny you mentioned that. I find it odd with all the other references of the WWE get away with that drinking is a problem. Hmm. Yet still, Stone Cold will come out and drink as many beers as he wants with Becky Lynch, who was pregnant. No, I mean she wasn't drinking that I know of when she was pregnant. So I don't know. I'll just, put, just I'll allow it. <laughs> just put uh, it out there. Mark, take over. What's a uh, next point about uh, it, it, full gear? I I just want to put this out here before you go. Uh, I was uh, on board with the show. I watched most of it, and I tuned out uh, at the main event. I didn't watch. Uh, yeah, well, I, didn't, I, I watched like highlights of it, and I watched a bunch of people talk about it. Um, I'm glad Eddie Kingston was in it. I really feel like he deserved a push. He's a great wrestler. I feel like he's vastly underrated. I feel like he really got to show how great Eddie Kingston was in that match, and it's kind of a shame that he didn't get the win. I know that you can't just let Eddie Kingston beat John Moxley, who's the face of your company now. I get it. It's fine. Is it? I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is fine for you, though. It's it's not fine for me, but like it's fine for everyone else that's like, like you know is, is drinking the the AEW Kool Aid. Of like, all the people that have been brought up to AEW and WWE and NW when everything was active, that Eddie Kingston was not at one of the big two <sighs> is I mean, I okay. Know, big three. You know you. You know that Eddie Kingston's never going to be a WWE guy, ever. No, but and he's perfect he, he, for stupid weirdo AEW. Yeah, because and AEW catered. Yeah, because AEW caters to the the indie crowd and guys that um, wrestled in the indies and there were indie darlings, and um, Eddie is is perfect for that because he's great on the he's the, probably the best person on the mic in either company. Because anytime Eddie Kingston's got a mic, I'm listening to him. Because the way he talks, even the way he looks, he doesn't look like he's 
No, I'm a legitimate badass tough guy. Other so, than MJF, he is the best guy in the Mike and I company. Yeah, he is. A, yeah, other than that, um, and you now MJF is MJF has fallen off because again they don't let him do what MJF. I, I was I was going to get to that in a little while. I was going to bring ahead. that up after Mark brought up up his points. No, no, I was agreeing well, with you. I, I just I wanted to say that. Go ahead, Mark. All right. Well, I do have an MJF theory, but I'll I'll get to that. I guess when you bring it up. Oh well, then bring it up since we're here. We're at the same road together. Let's bring it up. Um, so my theory is this whole MGF getting into the inner circle is that they're trying to now play the card. Well, we don't have enough faces. Jericho will get kicked out of the inner circle. Jericho's face. Craig, you should take that one. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much where it's going because one of the that I that I can't stand about AEW is they just heel versus heel, you know. There's no faces. I mean, the, the FD, you bring uh, back to FDR, you bring them in as the number one heel team in the company, and then the Young Bucks turn heel. So like, well, so which one is which one is the babyface tag team? Yeah, the faces. Yeah, and it, the face, right. And and you have or the two biggest heels. Yo, and Col- Kobe, Co- Kobe. Um, Cody, who is a face everywhere but inside the ring, he's a heel in the ring, but he's a face at before and after the match. And MJF and, and Jericho, the two biggest heels in your company, and you have them going up against each other. So you're forcing the fans to, to choose. So, you know, obviously they want to – I see that where they're going that MJF becomes the head of the family and Jericho's out. And now you're making Jericho a face. I mean, people are already – coming out singing his theme song i mean heels and faces together which kind of kind of blurs the line it's kind of stupid to begin with so i guess they're going to turn him full face but you but mjf the biggest heel you know if you wanted to make him the biggest heel in the company there's better ways of doing that than going than having him go up against the other biggest heel in the company my dream was that mjf would start his own faction and take FTR, and then you'd get one other person. I don't know, maybe Sean Spears. And then you'd make yourself a bad four horseman. Yeah. I would rather have that. But I, I just think that AEW just has too many stables to begin with. You That's got all they do. That's all the they elite, do. Elite, you got Jericho's, you got um, the, the Butcher and Blade and the Eddie Kingston's people. It's like everyone's got to be in some... You have uh, Team Taz, you know. You you every there's everyone's got to oh. be a uh, everyone's so, got to be in a group of some sort. MJF, there's two things that again, this is just how I feel. This is my opinion. There's two things AEW had at the very beginning that was given to them on the silver platter. There was Nyla Rose, yep, and there was MJF, mm-hmm. and I to this day. I don't care what anybody else says. I feel this. Nyla Rose should have run through the entire women's division. Yeah, she should still be the the women's women's champion. Period. End of discussion. There's nothing you can do. Even kayfabe should have been rolling over every woman in that company. Mm -hmm. Yes, drop the ball. MJF from day one should have been the top heel 
in that company. Yeah. There is, and if you want to argue his ability in the ring, which I don't think there really is, I think he's fine. Mm-hmm. Then you throw yeah. in the faction or or Wardlow that okay. can fight for him, like Diesel and Shawn Michaels. Yes, I am putting MJF there up there with Shawn Michaels because MJF is that good, better than Shawn Michaels ever was on the mic, better than a lot of guys were ever on the I, mic. And you drop the ball from the word go. Yes, I yeah, well, I'll put I'll put him uh, your guy, and you'll you might just kill me for this, but he's he's close. He, he, by the end of his career, you look at him as like a Roddy Piper. I said yes. that from the, we yes. said that from the first time Craig, I was on the show. It. Yeah. Like he's this generation's Roddy Piper. Right now, this is why this guy doesn't need a championship. He makes his own heat. It's just like back in the 80s. Like, you don't have to put a belt on someone that's this good. Instead, they have him singing show tunes, which was fine with me uh, because I like I a show tune. I thought it was hysterical. But the other side of that, instead of being this badass, pain-in-the-ass, piece-of-shit person now he's that a MJF is, he's singing show tunes with Jericho. They were dropping the ball on him way before that because when you have an MJF, he like Roddy Piper, he needs to be on TV every week. If he's not wrestling, giving him give him a two minutes with the mic, talk about whatever he wants. You don't have to was, give him your own show, but absolutely. but have him go over guys in five minutes, two minutes every every week. He doesn't wrestle. Have him on the mic, and you do it in the most Weasley chicken shit way. Like Seth Rollins was doing with Triple H, yeah. uh, or and multiply it by eight, <laughs> that you can. You have him weasel that way. I'm, I don't mean to disrespect the word weasel because MJF is no. a problem here in this conversation. Um, you just have him be the 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 crappiest, greasiest, most disgusting, vile heel ever. I, there's a lot of people I want to see Jericho singing songs with on wrestling, and MJF's not one of them. I knew they were. I knew that that was not going to go the way it should have been, air quotes, when they had him be the face and trick him and, and turn. I was like, it's still that's still not right. It's still not right. Horrendous, just awful. Okay. I agree. Uh, real quick, uh, Craig, I just want you just to say it real quick sure. that you hated the Matt Hardy match. I skipped the Matt Hardy match, and uh, no, I I. Won't have anything to do with I you. No, yo, I hate it. I didn't, I, I didn't want anything else. That's all I just wanted to do. <laughs> you got it. I, I'm still. I'm as much as I. We were talking about guys that we like in AEW. I love Matt Hardy. So Sam, much. I, I, I liked. I loved past tense Matt Hardy. The Matt Hardy from ten years ago. The Matt Hardy right now should not even be in the ring. And as much as I like Sammy Guevara, one of the guys that we talked about, I was, love was Sammy great. Guevara can be great and can be a future superstar that he still needs a receipt from that chair shot on Matt. That was just effing ridiculous. Uh, and it was uncalled for. It was unwarranted and it's useless. And this, their whole feud is useless. Um, you have the way you can get Sammy Guevara ahead without on the, the backs of, of, of Matt Hardy. Um, as much as I, and I was again, I'll tell you a huge hurricane Helms, Mark, and great to see him back, but uh, at the same time, uh, that it didn't need to be necessary. Uh, the other thing, the, my last AEW point, because there's, I can go off. We can, the, I know we're trying to keep this podcast in under an hour, but the amount of things that are wrong with AEW will, will cost more than, well, last more than that. 
poor thing that's going to totally infuriate you guys. So just wait. Because the people that they had, we talked about, Dan, that the people that they had given to them on a silver platter, namely MJF and Nyla Rose, you also have four of the best talkers in the history of professional wrestling, and they're invisible every single goddamn week. You have Arn Anderson and oh. Tully Blanchard and Jake Roberts and Taz. Oh. You have them talking for their wrestlers, yet they come out and then they disappear. Why is Tully Blanchard with FTR? Why was he banned from ringside? Just have oh. him come out and then leave. <coughs> then have him buy a ticket and come in and cause and, and some interference. Why is Arn Anderson, who is a and, and Cody is no slouch on the mic, but Arn Anderson can talk circles around anybody. Why isn't Arn Anderson giving all the interviews for Cody? They're talking about before or after the match. Why are these guys that you got for a reason? And don't get me wrong, Tony Khan want to throw a whole bushel of money at me. I'd come out there and say nothing and walk away too. But if you want to sell a wrestling promotion with four of the greatest wrestlers of all time, four of the greatest talkers of all time in professional wrestling, why, aren't the, why are these guys invisible? And that's my last AEW point. Until my next one. It, it, it's, it's not. It's not until I make this one. Oh, God. Don't, don't antagonize him. Uh, it, no, it, baffles, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... it does baffle me. And just if you're new to this show and think we're AEW bashing, next week we can spend some time on uh, WWE and spend uh, probably twice as long at the things they're doing. No, 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 no. There's, like I said, I, like a lo- I love a lot of AEW stuff. Yeah, it's the, There's a bunch of things in AEW that I really love. Um, that ma- the, the women's cha- championship match, other the than the other than the outcome of the women's championship match, which I just mentioned, why? Oh, stu- I, watched, I didn't watch the second women's championship What's match. That? I only watched the first one. It was great. Real great match. Great match. Both matches were great. Eves. Uh, yeah, Deeb. What was her gimmick back in WWE? She was part of the, the um the straight edge society with CM Punk. She's got she her head shaved. She had yeah, she shaved her head. Yeah. Serena Deeb should I'm so glad she worked out though, aren't you? Yeah, so but she, like it doesn't I don't uh, Again, somebody that should be at the forefront, not not a challenger. Not a challenge. Not a challenger. I don't understand that. It's okay. You know what? I'm glad that NWA titles are getting a shot on AEW. Now, my dream is that the next pay-per-view, we get to see the real-world champion, Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis is a great – listen. Now, I'm saying this one right of now. the One of the best matches I've ever seen was at Nova Pro, and it was uh, uh, Isaiah Frazier – Versus the NWA champion for the NWA title, uh, Nick Aldis, and the match was fantastic. Uh, I I said it before, and I was, huh? I think Nick Aldis is brilliant. I I just want to say this also. I've said it before, and I'll say it again now that you're back on the show. Uh, when that NWA World's title is in the building, you still. I know people are like NWA is irrelevant. Nah, man. When yeah. that title when that title's still in the building, you're still like man. That's, that's cool. That's the end. That's the that's the title. WWEAW. That's the title. Uh, yeah, the one Dusty had. Rick had. Steam. Uh, Steamboat was world champion. 
Yeah. The one Harley Race had. One Harley Race had. The one Lucet had. Magnum, had. Magnum TA had it? Yeah. No. No, 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 U.S. He should have. He should have. Uh, I, uh, I think that was the one that uh, David uh, Von Erich should have had. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. I, uh, go ahead. For, go to your uh, final point. Unless AEW pipe bomb. Go for it. Darby Allen's the new sting. I'm getting out uh, of this room right that now. That's fighting words. Dumb's fighting words. I'm getting out You're right welcome. Now. I'm getting You're out. welcome, America. Go fuck yourself. I'm leaving. No, no, no. The kids dress up as them for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, um, putting uh, marketable is it all get out. No. He rides a skateboard. He doesn't love skateboards when they're a kid. Go a biker. Um, Darby Allen is no more the next Sting because they both were paint than Matt Riddle's next Kevin Von Erich because they both wrestled barefoot. <laughs> um, that's not how it works. Darby <laughs> Allen is, is not the next Sting. He's barely even the next great Muda. Oh okay. Oh, I, I wish someone was the next great Muda, but uh, yeah, I do too. But it ain't Darby Allen. Muda's nope. still Muda. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. But it, it's it's it, it, you're. I'm telling you right now. If AEW knows what they're doing, they will just milk this cash cow for everything that's worth. If Darby Allen knows what he's doing, he'll stop doing stupid stuff like jumping off bridges and or getting into body bags with thumbtacks and <laughs> risk injuring himself trying to prove how death-defying he is and just, I don't know, maybe wrestle. No. How about that? Wrestling is not about wrestling when you're that guy. Stop. No. Okay. Well, I wish he would stop. It's, it's more about painting kids' faces. So stupid. There's a fa- there's a face painting booth at the beginning of every AEW show, I assume. <laughs> yeah, so it I'm is not gonna come. I'm not gonna comment on the face painting thing. Do you want to be? Do you want to be, be Spider Man or do you want to be Darby Allen? No, I want to be Sting. Get out of here, Darby. Nope. Sorry, Darby Allen. It is. That's all you get. There's only Darby Allen. So let's talk all about white and black. Let's talk about things you like about AEW. Okay. I told you. <laughs> Say, I told it you. Say it again. Say it again. Brian Pillman Jr. Project Chaos. Uh, the the Revolt. Tully Blanchard. Um, who else do I like? I don't love Kenny Omega. <laughs> no, I said like. That, that's not. That's, that's a not like. I don't. I don't like him. That's a thing I like. I like not liking Kenny Omega. All right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I like Hangman Page. I'll, I just want to double down on what you said earlier, uh, Craig. Underrated. Uh, underrated should be the champion, but it's John Moxley, so he's not the champion. Is that what's holding him back, Craig? I think what they're going to do with Paige, and I don't know why they're they're saddling him with this drunk gimmick that he's got to have a drink everywhere he goes and everything like that. He is the single best singles wrestler, our best face on the you know that they have on the card who's who checks all the boxes looks great great body great athleticism can do everything in the ring what i'm afraid what i'm afraid they're going to do is after they give kenny the belt over moxley and adam's page is going to take it from him hopefully but i i'm afraid they're going to do it like after he's lost it to to omega He's going to stop drinking and go sober, and that's what's going to give him the major. Point. Oh, and that'll be the storyline, right? Yes. So that's right. my fear. Like I don't know why he just can't be Hangman Adam Page, or I don't know why they saddled him with this cowboy that shots and clotheslines things. Yeah, I don't know just why they saddled him with the drinking gimmick anyway. But 
that's that's I did, I did like when he made someone hold his beer and then he shotgun buckshotted the the lariat over the top and beat someone. <laughs> it was a it was an amazing hold my beer moment. It was just I don't know. Yeah. You're not a it, drinker. Right? It's okay. It's fine. Gentlemen. Um, sir. Oh, I thought you're done, Mark. Go ahead. No, I was. I'm good. How do we feel a year later about uh Chris Jericho? Um I I felt the same way I did about Chris Jericho. Uh, Happy belated 50th birthday to Chris Jericho. And what if I'm saying happy belated 50th birthday to a current wrestler? uh, If you're not Luthez, you really shouldn't be doing that anymore. Um, His body obviously shows that he shouldn't be doing it anymore. Um, I think if his job is just to get guys over, I think he's doing a lousy job of it. Um, I, I don't know why you're going – if you're going to have – if you're going – you're Chris Jericho. You've got the most main event, national, mainstream um, status, influence of anyone there. Why you would use that towards an Orange Cassidy or um, someone who's uh, – other than that, or even if you're using it against MJF why, when you're still a heel, I, I don't get it. If you um, um, Now, I've always had a – Soft spot for Jericho. He's one of my favorites. If I'm putting my my top ten WWE superstars, will always include Chris Jericho and not The Undertaker because that's how good Jericho is and uh, how bad The Undertaker is. I just think he's doing himself a disservice right now. Every time he goes out to uh, to wrestle, really, really? Him, him and Matt Hardy. I don't think they're doing themselves any favors by continually getting in the ring. Um, well, Matt Hardy, I, I I think I agree with you with, but you know, I I think they're just both cash and check. Yeah, everyone in AEW is cash and checks. I mean, if if Tony oh. Khan's going to write them for you, of course they'll, they'll take it, and uh, and that's what Jericho's doing. The, everything that Jericho is doing now, I'm sure he's having the time of his life because all the stuff he's doing, the ballroom dancing, the the football stadium. Frenzy stuff. This is all the stuff, stuff he, pitched, he probably pitched to WCW. Like, and they said no. And even if he didn't pitch it then, now it's like they have no booker. They have no one guy that does that has the final say so because Jericho books his matches, Cody books his matches, the Young Bucks book their matches. There's no top, there's no final guy. So if Jericho says, hey, I want you to dump me in some champagne or orange juice, of course they're going to go for it. And he wants to do it. That's what I'm saying. He's doing himself a disservice. Um, but it doesn't matter what I think because he's having a time of his life and cashing big money paychecks to do it. So be, say, having said all that, um, I don't have any opinion towards Chris Jericho and AEW is, not, is no longer a professional wrestler. He's strictly a performer. Wow. All right. All right. We're, we're not going to fight now, are we? Nope. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not poking that bear. <laughs> <laughs> not after that, that time. <laughs> I mean, I can go into all the Jericho things that I think, but man, I, well, I what do you? Well, what do you? What, 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 what do you think? I, once again, I think he's doing. He part of me thinks he thinks he's doing what's best for the company. I think that's what he honestly like in, when you look at him. And he goes and he wins the world championship. He's the only name you have on the bill that people know nationally, right? Mm-hmm. 
So he wins the world championship. So you're waiting for Moxley to get there. Then you've got Dean Ambrose or, you know, so, and that's, he's coming hot off the shield reunion. People love that. So now you've got your wrestling fans back in. You've got your casual fans in. You've got your weirdo Japanese fans in because those people are just maybe the most intolerable wrestling fans around because they, they, they just expect this totally different breed of wrestling and they're like part AEW fans. Um, but like, I don't know, like Jericho's not that guy. When Jer- when I watched Jericho wrestle over in Japan, Jericho wasn't putting on New Japan pro wrestling matches. Right? Mm-hmm. Everywhere that Jericho goes, Jericho does what Jericho does. I did enjoy everything he was doing in New Japan, though. I thought it was amazing. I, I really but thought it was really just good. Another level, just another level of Jericho proving that Jericho is the best like a, a transcendent wrestler in the history of the world. Okay. Like you can, you can, we, we can talk about, I know I'm going to, I know I get, picked, I'm going to get picked on about this all the time. Talking about how reinventive Chris Jericho is. Just but do, like it. Just do it. Man. But there's certain wrestlers that you can't just move to new Japan pro wrestling and will be transcendent and will still win a title and be awesome. Do you know what I'm saying? And then there's certain wrestlers that were just, in the, that you moved to the U.S. are just garbage. I just remembered you and Dean having this conversation about Jericho on your page. Boulder Dash. <laughs> Sold it for $6 I, in New York. I, I had a reply written, and I was like, I was like, never mind, because I was like, well, you should go discuss this on the show. But I thought he'd be here. I thought he'd show up and say, what are you, out of your mind? <laughs> Once again. I will I will throw down the gauntlet to Dean anytime he wants to show up and tell me how wrong I am about Chris Jericho. He's more than welcome to tell me I'm an idiot. Oh, that's so funny. That was so funny. And you know what? It's funny. I, I, I'm wearing the Jericho shirt, and I'm about to go, well, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. I, I'll just say it like this. No. It's, it's real hard for me to try to hate Jericho. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm too far in the forest to see the trees. I I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying. Like I'm too far in the Jericho forest to see the trees. Like I knew there's. I was friends with this guy. He loved Bret Hart. He loved, but he's like too far in the Bret Hart forest to see the trees. Like there were some bad WCW Bret Hart times. Like we all have to just own up to that. Yeah, and that wasn't his fault. WO Bret Hart. Name one. And NWO Bret Hart. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to be that guy in the forest for Brett, sir. But you're in the woods, though. You can't help it. You, you're yeah, like, you're yeah. like, you're like, oh my god, I love the silver and black. Mm, give me more. Oh wait a minute. You mean I, the I like last? The, you mean the NWO ninety nine two thousand? I love, I love the silver and black when you teamed up with Jeff Jarrett. Yum yum yum. No, I no, I don't. No, no, I don't. Because I thought you meant the nine. I thought you meant the, the the stuff in the '90s with him and the Wolfpack because I was oh no 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 that was a Bret Hart era with the silver and black no I remember oh I remember it because it was and now all of a sudden you're like shit whatever whatever somebody mentions the um, NWO silver and black the one thing that pops in my head immediately is the night they um, that it happened on the Nitro that you know the end of the band is back together. Uh, they're in the ring and closest to the, you know, they're all there. It's Scotty. It's Jeff. It's the Harris brothers. What the yeah. hell they were doing there, but whatever. 
Um, I was never a Harris Brothers guy, no matter what they were called. Didn't understand why they're there. Didn't understand why they were on TV. Um, But there's Brett and Kevin closest to the camera. And they're yelling that like they're just staring at the audience. All of a sudden, Brett starts yelling F off, F off. And then Nash gets into this, whatever, whoever they're yelling at. Nash gets, you know, he gets a hold of, he gets Nash's attention and Nash says something and you can see Nash listen to the reply. He goes, you motherfucker. And he gets out of the ring and I'm like, I really need to know if that guy died that night. Because, yeah. yeah. Because, like, you it doesn't had, matter if Kevin is a wrestler or not, he will kill a dude. Well, he had Brett, who is a guy who could kill you, coming after him. And Nash, who was a bouncer, <laughs> he killed him. I was like, did that guy get out alive? I think he's dead. Yeah. I never found out. Buried him in that that that, that arena. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think, believe it or not, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, I believe that was the Astrodome. And we don't want to talk about the amount of people that were at a Nitro and Astrodome in 1999-2000. Because it certainly wasn't 60,000 or 20. <laughs> no. Gentlemen, is there anything else of modern wrestling you'd like to talk about? Craig, is there anything you wanted to mention before we... Uh, stop. <laughs> uh, yes. Randy Orton should not be the WWE champion. Oh. Right. That's a correct statement. Do go. Do go on. Why? 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 I said this the last time Randy Orton was champion. That was five years ago when he briefly Dude, joined the Wyatt last, family. Last he, time he stole the belt from Bray Wyatt? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, when he won the Royal Rumble and then he won a championship. Again, for what? Why? What purpose do you have to put the belt on Randy Orton again? Um, You have Drew McIntyre. Keep the belt on the guy till you get a crowd back. Then beating him will be a big deal. But you give it to Randy again? Again. Again. For what? Who is Randy Orton going to attract to get more people to watch? Kim. No one. You ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote a famous man. I'm gonna do his impression. Um, just imagine I'm Vince McMahon. Just look at him, damn it! Because Vince McMahon loves Randy Orton. He loves looking at him. He loves his tattoos. He loves his tights. He loves his little RKO name out of anywhere. Ooh, God, oh, it's every like Vince McMahon just goes home and just thinks about it all night long. I get it. How many no. young stallions? Okay, well, if, if we can stay in the present here, go for a little bit. Okay, that's the same thing. It's like they're the same bodies. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, if he if he loved the young stallions so much, why didn't he give them a run with the belt? But I digress. Randy <laughs> Orton is not what the, is not the future of the company. He's the past. Fifteen years ago. God, you're killing me. Um. Randy Orton. I'm enjoying the shit out of this. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, there's no, there's no reason on earth to give Randy Orton another title shot. And didn't it was their third <laughs> straight pay per view match that they had? And Drew McIntyre had already beaten him twice, clean. So why did you give him that? <laughs> why I did lost, we? I lost Mark. Anyway, um, you're not going to get any viewership back. You were already losing. I mean, you're, you've already lost a million to two million viewers alone because of this pandemic. 
why on earth would you think putting the belt on Randy Orton would get any viewers back? Keep the belt on Drew McIntyre, the same guy that beat Brock Lesnar in five minutes and then beat Big Show that same day. Why is he all of a sudden losing to a guy that doesn't need a belt to get him over? We were just talking about guys that don't need a belt because they've already established their legacy and their legend and their status in the company. You've already beaten Randy Orton twice on pay-per-views, so you've established that beating Randy Orton is a big deal, thus making Drew McIntyre a big deal. Give him someone else to work with, a Bobby Lashley, or if you want to sh- promote Shelton Benjamin again, as a guy who was trained by Brock Lesnar, who helped train Brock Lesnar, give him the push and a title shot, a la Kofi Kingston. And then when Drew goes over him, again, it's a big deal. You keep the belt on Drew until the crowd comes back, okay? Then when he has a venue, because if anyone was robbed of their WrestleMania moment or the pandemic, it was Drew McIntyre. So why not keep it on him to establish a long-reigning six-, eight-month championship reign? If you can give CM Punk a year, you can't give Drew McIntyre eight months? Right. I, 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 was, I, was, just making, I was just making fun of the WWE. Honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. I, Drew McIntyre was like the feel-good story of the whole pandemic. Like, here's a guy that, like, they blew the, – the, they, like, they put all the money into, and then they blew it. And then they turns out they were right in the end. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Here, here's a guy that is is as charismatic, is as awesome in the ring as they thought he would be. It just took him a lap around the world to, to get there. Mm-hmm. And now here he is. He's awesome. And then not only do you have him destroy Randy Orton, like you said, he destroyed Brock Lesnar. The thing that you love, Vince McMahon loves the most. They let him destroy him. And, and then you waste him. To Randy Orton. To do what? To, and once again, huge. I'm a Bray Wyatt guy, and I love the idea of Bray Wyatt beating Randy Orton. But, like, that's not what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know that's not what's going to happen because I'm a realist, and I know they're going to bury Drew, and they're going to bury Bray underneath Randy Orton again. Do you agree with me? I, I hope not. I, I don't you want them to bury not. Drew. So do I. Yeah. Um, but Drew and Bray should be, if that's with your two main guys that are young enough still to carry the company, if those are going to be your two guys going forward, then again, what would he, what do we need for Randy Orton for? I honestly oh. God don't know why. Okay, we know he can still go, and he looks great. He's always looked great. Randy Orton looks the same now as he did 15 years ago. Absolutely nothing about him has changed. His work in the ring has not dipped at all. He's still great on the mic. He's still a great, great heel. He's a great performer. He checks all the boxes, um, which is why, and just like Drew McIntyre was, just like Gordon was the chosen one, so was Drew McIntyre. He's got the size, the look, the athleticism on the mic, but he's what you need. He's the champion you need when when you have a crowd back. Because if you see any Drew McIntyre's matches with the crowd that you heard way back (laughs) at the Royal Rumble, Imagine if you had any of those when you have those crowds come back, Drew McIntyre oh. needs those crowds. Oh. With with the belt. Can can I tell you my most terrifying theory, Craig? Please. Because I know you're not you see you're you're saying the things that I want to hear. Mm-hmm. Now you've got the Roman Reigns with the world title. Yeah. And the Usos aren't beating him. 
that WrestleMania is setting up for The Rock to come back mm-hmm. and win the world championship again. Is that terrifying to you? It's not terrifying at all for The Rock to come back because any way, shape, or form you can get The Rock back, especially if this coincides with the crowds coming back, then yes, so by all means do it. Rock, yes. Randy Orton, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, I don't know why there the, why there's has to be a Randy Orton belt run again. Again, it's not like they're out of option. Um, I, I said the same thing five years ago um, when he won it then. I, it wasn't necessary then because he buried Bray Wyatt at the height of his of his run. When he was – you saw how he had a sold-out stadium of people with their lighters, you know, coming Fire. into the, the Fireflies. I know. So there you have it. Um, so no, I don't. I, I obviously that's the the plan going forward to bring to bring Rock back. Um, I don't think he should go over Roman Reigns at all. I think if anything, um, that would solidify Reigns. You're building superstars now. You need to build for the present. I understand bringing Rock back. Bringing Rock back is going to get you viewers, money, attention, mainstream media. All that stuff. So anytime you get a chance to bring the biggest box office movie star in the world back to your brand, take it. I don't care if it's if, if it's Rock just doing you know two minutes on the mic, um, and even if it if it's against Roman Reigns, great. That storyline's built in. Um, but uh, Rock shouldn't go over. And if he did, if he does again, for what purpose? It's same thing with Randy Orton. Why are you putting the belt on Rock? I just want to be consistent with that. That's all. That's I understand. Yeah. At least you understand the draw point. Oh yeah, different than the Randy Orton draw point. But I think they're trying to capture the same lightning in a bottle. That's not the same lightning in a bottle. Yeah. If that makes any sense to you? Oh, it makes it makes perfect sense. Hey, if I'm, uh, if I was uh, ER back in the day, and and I could get George Clooney back, yes. Why wouldn't okay. I want George Clooney back right. on the show? That you know, right. even though he was the big biggest movie star, of course I want him back if he wants to come back. You know, or any you know big box office star that wants to come into your company. Sure, why wouldn't you? I hope I'm not annoying the hell out of you, Craig. No, no, if it, no, if anyone annoys the hell out of me, it's Dan. It's always Dan. I feel like I push your buttons a little bit. I'm I sorry. sat no. here the entire time and let you guys go, and you're gonna drag me in like that. No, yeah. Dan, I know I don't push wow. your buttons. But you you know what buttons I like to push. Craig's yeah. new to me. I I don't wanna I don't wanna offend Craig right Oh, that's away. okay. No. no, you'll find out real quick if you offend Craig. <laughs> you have to try real yeah. hard. Craig knows uh that this is a show and we're having right. a discussion. Right. Cool. If you try this cool. shit in public and be like, Listen, I think you're fucking stupid about Chris Jericho, that might be a problem. <laughs> no, but this is a little different. You should definitely tell me one day in public that I'm definitely stupid about Chris Jericho. No. I deserve it. Unless no, you're Gene I, Dixon. Mm-mm. No, no that, I, that dude has to do it publicly on the show. <laughs> I like his little balderdash. Mark, honestly, the only thing that, that really gets me going about the current product, and it's not even that I, I would call someone stupid for liking something that I don't like or anything like that. It's and it, and it was actually the last time I really got into it with another wrestling fan was someone that enjoyed the um, the production matches or the TV, uh, the the uh, the the uh, and I totally, I totally match. 
or the John Cena Bray Wyatt uh, Firefly Funhouse of whatever totally, match. You're just like them. Yeah, or as even as the a, Halloween Havoc stuff. Yeah, that's not that's as not wrestling. A wrestling fan, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but as as watching it from a different ver- like like I like if you watched it from outside looking in, it might come across different to you. But I once again, me as a wrestling fan, in my heart mm-hmm. of hearts, those were weird, stupid box jobs, and they weren't matches. Yeah, yeah they, I, I, I don't consider that a wrestling. They, hurt, the they, argument. Hurt, they hurt the the eight year old me that watched the Warlord wrestle on Saturday mornings. Against some jobber named like Bob Silver Bullet Stevenson, you know what I'm saying? Like it hurt the, the eight-year-old. Me, it, it hurt the eight-year-old me watching Bruno Sammartino take on Ernie Ladd and fearing for <laughs> Bruno's life. Yeah, <sighs> that's what that's what got me when Bruno was counting out of the ring because he was clutching his throat after getting the uh, the thumb from Ernie Ladd, and I thought his his trachea had been ruptured. And I thought he was never going to speak again. Um, that's what got me. So when I'm watching a a Walking Dead um, episode in starring AJ <laughs> yeah, Styles yeah. And, and The Undertaker, I'm just like, this is not wrestling. And then they, they hear the argument was, well, it was entertaining. I could be entertained by a professional wrestling match. That that's it's what entertains true. me. It's true. I, I don't I, I don't need three different I don't need five different camera angles and constant edits. And strobe lighting, uh, and stunts, and, and those shot cuts, those, yeah, those classic horror movie shot cuts. And speaking of Randy Orton, Mark, and this is my last point, uh, Dan, on the uh, the greatest wrestling match of all time between Edge and oh. uh, and Orton, and Edge tore his um, what did he, he tore something his Achilles or something? Peck. It, it tore his pack on the second take. When he got the RKO off the top rope, they had already done that move. So they had to do it again, and he tears his pack. Why are you oh. do? Why are there takes? It's a wrestling match. There's no takes. There's no cuts. There's no edits. Oh, let's try it again with a different lighting. Okay, reposition. All right, focus. Okay, we'll take it from two and action. Go. That's not wrestling. Guys, can we put the sepia tone on this camera first? No. Oh. We're going to go with a different filter here. All right, we got to change the light. Okay, everybody hold positions. Hold positions. Hold for one. Yeah, we do that in post here. Yeah, we'll just edit that in post. (laughs) That's why we all look so gorgeous after this podcast. By the way, you'll be happy to know, Craig, that Tully Blanchard was used very well tonight. Thank you. (laughs) It it, it, it was uh, was a little reminiscent of the old Horseman days. It wasn't. He didn't go in there and stop. You'll you'll see. It was okay. a, it, it was manager Tully finally being a manager uh, a heel manager. Oh, it only took six months. Okay, delightful, delightful. Okay. Anything delightful. else, Dan? That's wonderful. No, yeah. no. This is this is going exactly as I planned, and I love the show. Oh, okay. uh, I've always loved the show, but whenever we can make it more lovable, I love it. Welcome back, gentlemen and ladies, to your favorite part of the HIAC Talk Radio podcast. The one we've uh, we try to do every week, but we've been off for a while. But we're back with more historical goodness. My name is Craig Lagans, of course, joined by my cohorts, Dan Rebecca Kalachiko and Mark Go Thompson. I'm sorry, Dan Becky Kalachiko. Our Rebecca was way too formal. Uh, we'll be going back to a time when uh, there was wrestling in all 50 states, packed with people 
not observing social distance laws and mask free, yelling at the top of their lungs, throwing babies in the air and cheering for their favorites and booing their non-favorites. We're gonna go back to a time where titles were called belts, where medical facilities were called hospitals and back when sports entertainment was professional wrestling. This is a very historic week uh, that we're gonna look at in professional wrestling history, complete with the lots of firsts, uh, lots of lasts, and lots of genuinely iconic moments. Uh, we're gonna start at November 6th, 1994. Hard to believe it was uh, 26 years ago, uh, but this was the date of the first American pay-per-view that was not WWE or WCW. I'm talking about the iconic pay-per-view when worlds collide, the AAA pay-per-view. Coming to us live from the LA Sports Arena, uh, the AAA wrestling organization outside of ECW was the most profitable and had the most uh, fervent, passionate fan base there was. Wrestling in Los Angeles hadn't seen this type of boon since the uh, late uh, 60s, early 70s at the Olympic Auditorium with such stars as Freddie Blassie, John Tolis, Victor Rivera, and later on, Riley Piper and Chavo Guerrero. But the AAA uh, organization in Los Angeles was doing record crowds in LA and so much so that they were able to have their first pay-per-view. And this was the first pay-per-view that wasn't WWE or WCW. And it was the first time American audiences got to see for the first time such notable legends as Psychosis, Louis Spicoli, the Pegasus Kid, who we now know under a mask was Chris Benoit, and the great Rey Mysterio. This was their American debut. The main event was for the tag team championship, Octagon and El Hijo de Santo, the son of the saint, were going up against the most over, the most hated, and the most controversial tag team in North America, Los Gringos Loco, Eddie Guerrero and Art Barr, the crazy Americans who would cause riots in Los Angeles at some of their house shows were the most overtag team in all of North America at this time. And they had a hair versus hair, hair versus um, mask match. And uh, it was a three falls. Uh, each fall was an elimination bout. So in order to win the bout, both members of your team had to be pinned in order to win. Ah, those are, I, I, sorry, I broke the rule. I already <laughs> broke the rule. But that show, but that's what made AAA such a, a phenomenal um, organization back then. And because of that pay-per-view um, that had all those great stars that I mentioned earlier, they all got snapped up within months from ECW. And in Louis Piccoli's cases, uh, ECW then to WWE. But that was what the, the, the culmination of what was then the biggest um, non-WCW, non WWE organization in professional wrestling. AAA, I would dare say, was bigger than ECW. J 
just for the amount of fans that they had and uh, the amount of revenue they were joining, and they had the hottest tag team. Um, but uh, it's all the whole card is available on YouTube, and I probably say this every year on this time. But uh, please, if you're a fan of any of the people I just mentioned, or even just true luchador wrestling, granted this was 26 years ago, uh, please give When Worlds Collide. Uh, a shot. It was also called by Chris Cruz, a longtime WCW uh, announcer uh, who called the match, and he, he called it perfectly. The matches were great. The action was great. The crowd was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, do either of you guys remember that pay-per-view? No. no? Okay. Wait, no, no. I, yeah. The only reason I remember it is because uh, me and my brother were obsessed with wrestling at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and you had the remember when pay per view would put like they knew you loved wrestling, so they would give you the pay per view commercials about wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that one. I was like, I don't know what AAA is, but I want to watch it because I remember I, I accidentally tripped my parents into buying a New Japan Pro Wrestling one time mm -hmm. uh, pay per view because I was obsessed with Ultimo Dragon. Remember when he had all like twenty-seven belts? Yeah, he was, and he was like, part he, of the, like he had so many belts. They were like his whole uniform was belts. Part of the J Crown, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. So like I saw that, I was like, oh man, we maybe we want that. And they're like, man, you know, like we we just bought you that new Japan one. Like let's let's pump the brakes. But apparently, this is the one I should have dumped the money into. But the reason I bought that new Japan one, I think Great Muda was fighting Sting. Yeah. In in Japan, but mm -hmm. are you like th just you saying that stipulation? Like makes me so happy because I love triple threat matches where you have to beat both people. Yeah, uh, two out of three falls where you have to beat both members of the tag team each time. Yeah, that's the baddest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's like the best. That's the best tag team match you've ever watched. And it was the best tag team match of the year, in many people's opinions, in 1994. Um, it, like I said, it put all these guys on the map: uh, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Chris Benoit, Louis Piccoli, uh, all signed with to, with ECW within um, months of that. Uh, unfortunately, and the, I said Los Gringos Locos, Eddie Guerrero and Art Bar were the most over tag team in all of North America. After that, that match, which was a highlight, which was a match of the year, and what a match to go out on. We didn't know it at the time, but that would be Art Bar's last match. He died uh, a month and a half later at the age of 27. Uh, wow. He and Eddie were supposed to come in as a team. That same team, Los Gringos Locos, were supposed to debut in ECW. That didn't happen. But it did pave the way for Eddie Guerrero's solo career, which he, when he got to ECW, his matches with Dean Malenko were on the oh. same. I put them on the same level as Flair and Steamboat or Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express. But had and had he and Art Bar come at, as a tag team, we may never have seen those matches with Dean Malenko, and Eddie probably would have never had the singles push that he had in ECW, then going to WCW, and of course going to the WWE. But uh, yes, November 6th, 1994, when worlds collide. Landmark pay-per-view. Just one last thing, if I, mm -hmm. if I can. Um, Louis Spicoli, I think, is, once again, I'm going to put in that list of 
vastly underrated wrestlers of the history of the wrestling universe. Um, there's just something about him. He like kind of like breathed that wrestling energy to me. Mm-hmm. And every time I watched him, I just loved him. And I also loved this Spicoli driver. So anyway, I was sorry. Gonna, I was about to say, Luis Spicoli was so beloved and so respected in the business. They renamed it the Spicoli driver for a little yeah. while. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, yeah. like when 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 John Cena does it, I still just say that's just a bad Spicoli driver. <laughs> yeah. He, I, and, I remember Luis Spicoli because I did not. I don't remember knowing about him until he was doing. He what was he in early '98. He was going to WCW. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was just the little bit, and it was a little bit because they're terrible. The little bit they were using Louie, I was like, I like this guy a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like that, he was gone. Yeah, and when he called, got called up to the WWE as the grunge rocker Rad Radford. Oh, uh, but before that, though, uh, he when he because he had the W, he was a jobber in the WWF. He goes to Mexico and L.A. and he reinvents himself and has this great heel run as a he, as a heel. And that's what got him on the pay-per-view. And that's what got him to back to ECW where he had that great run in ECW and then got called back to the WWE. But his, his gimmick in AAA and in Mexico and in Los Angeles that got him so much heat because he didn't go by his name, Louis Spicoli. His ring name was Madonna's Boyfriend. Yes. So that's what got him over. That's what got him heat is being Madonna's boyfriend, telling everyone that he was Madonna's boyfriend is what got him to be one of the biggest heels in all of AAA. But uh, yeah, uh, but when worlds collide, November 6, 1994, 26 years ago, give that a look. Uh, we're going to go November 8th, 1975, a landmark date, um, because when this happened, it kind of took a whole organization in a different direction you know we talk about in the 70s there was the big three the wwf the nwa and the awa and there are all the champions were always the same uh bruno uh either jack briscoe uh, and in the awa it was Vern Gagne, and that's how it stood for three years straight um and for years and years it was just one of those guys but November 8th, 1975, Nick Bockwinkle defeated Vern Gagne for the AWA title. And he would hold that belt for another four years, longer than any man did. And Nick Bockwinkle, as AWA champion, took that company in a completely different direction. Because here is Vern Gagne, you know, old school Vern Gagne, balls, had been on the golden age of TV, had been on the Milton Burrell show, and it was all American, clean. And here was Nick Bockwinkle, who'd always been part of the greatest, maybe the greatest tag team of all time in AWA history, at least. Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens, he was always a tag team guy. No one took him, per, you know, seriously as a singles man. He had been Georgia heavyweight champion in 72, but he'd always been an AWA tag team guy that uh, Vern had been on multiple occasions, and he was even seen as not even as good as his partner, Ray Stevens. But he defeats Vern Gagne for the AWA belt and would hold that belt for four straight years. And in that time, he made the AWA championship on par with the NWA and the WWF championship. Because when, it, when the NWA titles would change hands from uh, 
Briscoe to Funk to Harley Race to Giant Baba back to Race. And when the WWF title would go from Bruno to Billy Graham to Bob Backlund, it was Nick Bockwinkle that whole time holding that AWA title, coming out on interviews in a suit with sunglasses on with the greatest manager of all time by his side, Bobby Heenan. Anytime you see a world champion with a suit, people think it was Ric Flair. It was Nick Bockwinkle who did it first. People, uh, a world champion coming out talking about how much he hates coming to this certain town because they're not in his class. Nick Bockwinkle did it first. Considering the fans humanoids, Nick Bockwinkle did that first. Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan cut a path not only through the AWA, but through professional wrestling in that four-year straight reign that no other wrestling manage, wrestler-manager combination has ever touched. Everything you see Ric Flair do with that world championship belt with a suit on, Nick Bockwinkle did it first, and some purists would say Nick Bockwinkle did it better because if he hadn't set the bar that high, there would not have been a Ric Flair to copy it. But it all yeah. started November 8th, 1975, and Nick Bockwinkle, not Vern Gagne, who would done who would held the title ten times and who would who was one of the first AWA champions, but it was Nick Bockwinkle that turned that belt into something. So when a young Hulk Hogan came around to challenge for it, it became a big deal. But Nick Bockwinkle's first title AWA title reign that lasted four straight years started November eighth, nineteen seventy five. Go go. Funny, funny you should mention Nick Bockwinkle because, you know, the guy I think maybe is the greatest wrestler of all time cites him as the inspiration to a lot of his work, Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when he did that uh, comeback when he was wearing the suit and tie. Yeah. That was a big thing that Jericho was on. It was the mm-hmm. Nick Bockwinkle thing. Um, also, any time that you put anything with Bobby the Brain Heenan, any time. You could you could have like put, for example, you put the Brooklyn Brawler with Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was Bobby was the Brooklyn Brawler, and you were still like, no, I'm in. I know this guy's going. This guy's a loser. I'm in. This is the this is the greatest wrestling of all time. Yeah, and that was because uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan is the greatest manager ever. Boom, said it, done. And he didn't need to legitimize Nick Bockwinkle because, again, you have a great talking champion, but you pair him with a great talking manager, and you've got a license. You've got a license to print money. Yeah, you put gold with gold. It was it was yeah. double gold. Yeah, and that's why I put them as the best manager wrestler combination of all time. Uh, but the four years that they were in AWA, where they were unmatched. Go ahead, Dan. I just wanted to say about Nick Bockwinkle, and I will never not say it. When we're talking about Nick Bonkwinkle, is that is one of the wrestlers that I plead and beg people if they've not seen to go back and watch yeah. on the Thank mic you. in the ring. My God, my God, was Nick Bonkwinkle just groundbreaking? Over. Get past yeah. you, get past his name, and yes, oh, oh, over part of it though. What? Isn't Nick Bockwinkle all part of the fun of who Nick Bockwinkle is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah but people don't know that. Mm-hmm. That's I why I'm like, ignore the name, and when you come back to it, you let me know. <laughs> because. And, uh, yeah. 
you, I will say you go to Nick Bockwinkle, you go to YouTube, Nick, from Nick Bockwinkle promos, perfect. Uh, you need matches, Nick Bockwinkle versus Jerry Lawler in Memphis, Nick Bockwinkle versus Hulk Hogan in St. Paul, Minnesota. And you can look at the match, but look at the crowd. When Nick is over Jerry Lawler, look at the crowd that wants to kill him. When Nick has got Hulk Hogan on his back, or when they think Hulk Hogan is beating Nick Bockwinkle, look at the crowd. Because it's not the, the person now, not taking away from the the fans of Jerry Lawler or, or Hulk Hogan, which were, which were legion, but because they were going crazy, is because they thought they had beaten, their, their favorite guy had beaten Nick Bockwinkle. Okay, the only a heel can do that. It's the guy who's wrestling, not just the face. Uh, staying on that date, November 8th. November 8th, 2005, um, I even got a, uh, a message on this on uh, social media. Uh, November 8th, 2005, at a SmackDown taping in Indianapolis. We already mentioned the man, uh, his big league debut, as it were, was uh, November uh, 6th, 1994. Uh, but we got uh, 11 years of greatness out of him. But uh, November 7th, 2005 at a SmackDown taping in Indianapolis, uh, Eddie Guerrero defeated Mr. Kennedy by disqualification, and that would be Eddie Guerrero's last match. Um, the the disqualification, uh, the referee had been knocked down. Eddie went out, got a chair, whacked it against the, uh, the, the canvas, and threw the chair to Kennedy. Eddie plays dead. Referee gets up, sees Kennedy with the chair, calls for the bell. Uh, Kennedy is disqualified. Eddie wins. Uh, that that at the very same spot was was replayed uh, three weeks ago on Raw with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander uh, in honor of Eddie's birthday. Uh, a touching tribute to him. But um, uh, we would lose Eddie Guerrero uh, two days later. But that would be his uh, his last match. Um, Seen his last televised match, um, November eighth, two thousand five. I'll I'll go real quick if, if you don't mind. Mm -mm. Uh, I missed a lot of the Eddie Guerrero highlights, the WC, the WWE Heavyweight Championship stuff. Mm -hmm. I I I fell out of love with wrestling then, and I feel like I do like a disrespect to wrestling by not knowing that stuff. Um, the same with Chris Benoit winning the world title. I, I always feel like I missed like a bunch of that. But I also feel like um, I there's a, like a lot of great matches that I watched that mm -hmm. people didn't see. Um, there's this amazing match, and I, I forget where it was, but it's Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair. Mm -hmm. um, it might be for the U.S. title. I don't know. Yeah. Something silly like that. But it's on like Nitro. It, it is just like Eddie Guerrero is just such a like above and beyond performer that, that like could wrestle any style. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he, he really, he really had a lot to add to any match, mm -hmm. not just personality wise, which I think flourished in the WWE, but just in ring style, just changed the way wrestling worked. So there you and, go. I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, 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 no apologize. And I, I will, will co-sign on that only because, you know, we in our previous episode we talked about Randy Orton. There's something about third generation superstars, uh, guys that know what they're doing in the ring, and guys are just—you can just tell they just have an otherworldly feel for it. 
you know, Eddie came from a wrestling family, wrestling loyalty. I talked about the wrestling in Los Angeles. Well, the Guerreros, the Guerreros in Los Angeles were like the Von Erics in Texas. Um, oh, wow. They were, um, so they, that's where they all got their start. That's where they all got their first belt. That's where they were all introduced to professional wrestling uh, was in the Los Angeles area. Chavo was the, the big, you know, the main box office attraction in, uh, in Los Angeles in the uh, early 70s, in the mid 70s. Um, and who would know that Eddie, the last one, the youngest of the Guerreros, who would know that he would be the most famous and the most accomplished out of all of them? Because you put them together, Chavo, Mondo, Hector, all look like, all look like superstars because they're all born and bred in this business. Eddie was a guy that just took, took it and ran with it. Uh, we, we've talked about wrestling families on this podcast before about the Armstrongs, about each one of them had something different, how the Von Erics, each one of them had something different to contribute to wrestling. The Guerreros were no exception. You know, Chavo was the, the first superstar. Uh, Mondo had the head for the business. Hector was, was the best worker. Eddie just had the charisma and the, the mic skills and that personality that made him an A-plus heel and an A-plus face. And like Orton, like the third generation superstars, like Rock, they could do it all. There wasn't anything that they couldn't do in the ring. They'll take a crowd and they'll take you anywhere you want to go. Eddie's supposed to be a heel. He lies, he cheats, he steals. And he's still the most over guy in the company. That's my credo. I lie, I cheat, and I steal. And he's, he's a huge baby face. Uh, and we sadly had to say goodbye to him uh, 15 years ago this week, but his last uh, televised match was November 8th, 2005 against Mr. Kennedy. Again, watch it again, just for the, uh, or even just watch Eddie's funniest moments. Um, still one of my favorites, um, to, to watch over and over again and go, you are correct. You did miss a lot. I'm not even going to try to make you not feel bad. No, for missing Eddie. I want to go back and watch a lot of it. And, and like, Chris Benoit. I, 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 I watch the, it's a mania, right? That they both win the yeah. belts in the same. Yeah, I want that one. you know what that hug that they share and like it like once again you being a WCW guy that watched them grow up there, mm-hmm. you know you you like really appreciate the fact that they got the the belts, you know. Yeah, they got the the world championships in the other company that that finally two guys from outside of whatever Vince built mm-hmm. were respected enough to get to the top of the pedestal. But, you know, man, the things that could still I, – I hate to be like this, but Eddie and Chris could still just – I know you probably hate that Eddie and Chris were still going, but they could still be going in some backhanded, fun kind of way. No, yeah, and um, Eddie and, and Chris, if we're, well, I think, would still be part of the WW in some way, oh. shape, or form, in some capacity. You know, either backstage guys or, you know, the guys that comes out to break up the fight or – it both would uh eddie would be a, i wouldn't say chris would but i say eddie would be a great manager um oh, to anyone trying to get someone over um he would be if you put eddie with with uh almas and uh, garza yeah like you're just writing gold aren't you yeah, yeah. or even if you put him in aew with um with the lucha brothers you know oh my god just perfect just oh yeah so yeah i think they would still be part of a wrestling business because uh, uh, they grew up in it, and they really don't know, don't have anything else. Uh, to, would have anything else to fall back on? Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Not related. I'm watching a. I was watching AEW, listening to you guys talk about it. 
Okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, I, uh, here, this is what I'll add. Put uh, Eddie Guerrero right next to bit Nick Bockwinkle. Oh, yes. Yes. I, yeah. I, I say that with zero reservation and zero nope. uh, timidness. Eddie Guerrero could out-wrestle anybody on most cards mm-hmm. <laughs> and could probably, if he was alive today, still out-wrestle most people on most cards. That's just the way Eddie Guerrero yeah. was that good. I take pride, mm-hmm. personally, blow smoke up my own ass, that I was able to watch him from ECW, oh. watch him on WCW, right mm-hmm. on through to the end. I'm, and, and a lot of us can take that claim. Of yeah. pride to be able to watch this man's career. Not pride that we saw the end of it, the way it ended, yeah. but I am so happy that I got to grow up with that dude. And, and I just ast- astounding yeah. is not the word for that man. No, and and Dan, I'm lucky enough to see Eddie on both trajectories. I got to see him wrestling ECW. Um, we're on his way to WCW and the WWE, and then I got to see him after he was fired from WWE and went through rehab and come back and come back to the ECW arena when he was the Intercontinental Champion. This is his comeback and coming back to say goodbye and having him team up with the Maximos, the SAT, um, for a one match only runoff back when you can be you can wrestle for the WWF and WCW and still go to indie shows. Um, and so I got to see Eddie and also watch him at the National Guard Armory against CM Punk, who I didn't know who he was, and an unmasked Rey Mysterio have a triple threat match that go an hour. Um, yeah, so I got to see Eddie on both of his uh, – his, on his way to the WWF oh, after he got fired and then going back to the WWF after he was uh, rehired uh, after the rehab. So um, – and it, he never failed to disappoint. And he, he he got it. He wasn't humbled. Even going from, you know, he's going from uh, main eventing stadiums and to now changing in an ECW bathroom at the uh, at Swanson and Ridner. And, but he knew that that's the only way he's going to come back to where he was to get his family back, to get his livelihood back, to get his job back. So, yeah, we're very, I'm very lucky to have seen Eddie in both of those uh, incarnations. Do not read the HIC account before you uh, watch AW, sir. Well, it's, to... it's not like he's ever changed in that bathroom before. <laughs> no. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You're good, bro. Uh, November November 9th. Um, very important date in professional wrestling. Uh, I'm going to go back to 1956 to show you how far we've come. Uh, November 9th, 1956, uh, Luthez would defeat uh, whipper Billy Watson in Toronto, Canada to win his second NWA Heavyweight Championship, the second of six for Luthez. But I point this out because from November 9th, 1956 till uh, for the next four years um, and for the next seven years, Luthez would be the undisputed professional wrestling heavyweight champion. He would be the last one. The AWA wouldn't be founded until 1960. The WWWF wouldn't be founded until 1963. So from this date, November 9th, 1956, to both of those dates, there was only one professional wrestling world champion. That was the NWA heavyweight champion, Luthez. 
and that would be the last time there would there would only be one like as in Highlander there can be only one and that last undisputed no doubt about it no other man but him was champion was Luthez and that would occur on November 9th 1956 uh, and until the AWA was founded in 1960 and until the WWF was founded in 1963, uh, the man, and to be the man, you had to beat the man, and that man was Luthez. I always appreciated that Stone Cold Steve Austin would whip out those, the Fez's – wow, that's hard to say now – Fez press yeah. as regularly as he would drink a beer. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Oh, the big old school move. The one that uh, Tommy Rich used to win the NWA heavyweight title that he held for five days. He won it with the Seth Press. <laughs> nice. April 9th, 1981. And finally, November 9th, Dan, go, go. Uh, November 9th, 1997. It may not be the most talked about match in professional wrestling history. But it is still the most talked about ending in professional oh, wrestling history. Okay, that's why I know the date. <laughs> is this the date that changed professional wrestling history forever? November 9th, 1997, Survivor Series, Montreal, Canada. The World Wide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, Brett the Hitman Hart, in the main event, against the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. In, it's been called The Night That Changed Wrestling, The Birth of Mr. McMahon, The Beginning of the Exposure of How Horrifyingly Bad WCW Booking Is, or as it's commonly affectionately known as The Montreal Screwjob. November 9th, 1997 uh, is a date that will always live in infamy. Uh, thanks to uh, the great documentary, Dark Side of the Ring, we have more insight as to actually what happened leading up to that. We've we've covered this on this podcast. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> many times, but the person who came up with the finish, uh, we now know, <laughs> was the Louisville Lip, James E. Jim Cornette. Only because, like myself, he is a student of wrestling history. Uh, he was he and uh, his mortal enemy Vince Russo were at Vince McMahon's house trying to come up with a scenario because uh, they had gone to Bret Hart to about getting the belt off him. Bret had already signed with WCW, and in the contract, the ten-year contract that Bret Hart signed, that I pointed out on this very podcast uh, that Vince McMahon couldn't honor exactly one year later. But in that contract that Brett signed, that gave him creative control, which meant that he could decide who or how his bouts would go and who he could drop the belt to. He didn't want to drop it to Sean. He would have dropped it to The Undertaker. He had no problem dropping it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And his way, he wanted to voluntarily turn it over that Monday night on Raw and say goodbye to the fans. Of course, Vince wasn't going to go to that. And fearing another Medusa scenario with 
the WWF champion showing up on WCW Monday Night Jericho with the WWE belt <laughs> wanted a way to get the belt off of uh, off of Bret Hart. Now, and every scenario that that uh, Jim Cornette and Vince Russo and McMahon gave to Bret, Bret said no to. Bret didn't like any of them. And so they're wringing out their hair, and Jim Cornette's already pissed off because he's well, living he's, in he's, Jim Cornette. He's Jim Cornette, and he, he's living in Connecticut. He's gained 50 pounds, and he's across the, uh, the table from the person he hates most in the world uh, who doesn't know anything about wrestling. Right. And uh, Vince McMahon goes, well, fine. How would you do it? How would you get him off? And Jim Cornette relays a story about uh, Everett Marshall. I'm sorry, Strangler Lewis, who was the uh, World Heavyweight Champion in 1931. And uh, no one could get the belt off him. But Strangler Lewis wasn't good for business, and so they wanted a way to get off him. So in the, uh, in the bout in Montreal, of all places, ironically enough, against Henry, Henri Lalonde, uh, they, got in, they were wrestling in a match, and Henri got... Ed Stranger Lewis in a headlock, and he threw him over. And Ed Stranger Lewis went with it because he probably think he's I'm gonna go with it because he's gonna set me up for another hold. Just then, Henri started clutching at his chest, yelling at the referee, "He bit me! He bit me!" And the referee sees this huge bite mark on Henri's chest, calls the match, disqualifies Ed Stranger Lewis, and gives a belt to Henri. That was the first. Montreal screw job. Magical. When in reality, in reality, in the dressing room before the match, Henri's manager, Dan Koloff, no relation, had bit the chest intentionally of Henri, bit it hard enough to break the skin, draw blood, so Henri kept his arm over his chest, put on his ring jacket, and kept his arm close, so when the match started, he just grabbed Strangler Lewis in a headlock, threw him over, claimed that, that Strangler bit him. Referee disqualifies Strangler, puts the belt on Henri. Yeah. That was the first Montreal screw job. Jim Cornette gets a idea. Well, the sharpshooter. It's if Sean puts a sharpshooter on Brett and the referee calls for the bell, then we'll say he, he can't say that he you can say he didn't submit, but it's a submission hold. And if he says he didn't submit, then he'll know it's at work. And Bret Hart, of all people, wrestling purists, another second-generation superstar, would never expose the business. So that's how you get the belt off him. So Jim Cornette was in much in fear of his life as Earl Hebner was, even though Earl Hebner swore up and down that he was not going to screw Bret. And they even rode on the same flight. I don't know if you know this, Go. When they were flying to Montreal, Earl Hebner was on a was on a flight, and he gets bumped up to first class. The stewardess comes over and said, uh, you've been bumped up to first class. Bret Hart bumped up Earl Hebner to first class oh. on their way to Montreal. And he said, Earl, I don't have a good feeling about this, but I know I've known you my whole life. You've known my family. No. So I know I can count on you. And Earl said, I'm not going to count you out. Right before the match, before it go ah. out. To the ring. Well, technically, Jerry. No, 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 no. Technically, he did. Yeah, Jerry Briscoe. He didn't. He uh, Jerry Briscoe grabs Earl before they run out, 
and said, when he puts his sharpshooter on, you call for the bell. And Earl said, I can't do that. And Jerry grabbing harder because Jerry Briscoe, true shooter, even at that age, could still hurt you, separating Earl's uh, tendons from his, uh, his, his bicep from his bone, said, you ring, you said, you want a job? Is Bret Hart going to pay you? Is Shawn Michaels going to pay you? No, we're going to pay you. So if you don't like your job, you ring that effing bell. So Earl calls it, still calls it the longest walk of his life. You, like, like, okay. I'm so sorry. You know, you know, there's people that believe this is totally the other way, right? Yes, oh, those people oh. are wrong. Yes, those people are completely I incorrect. Just want, I just wanted to hear you say that. No, no, they're wrong. Yes, they're wrong. No, that's um, stupid. So when, but, no, go ahead, but, finish, but, Craig. But, finish. But, no, no, hold on. Let, let Craig finish. Hold on. We'll talk about it. So the match goes on. And what's lost in all this, gentlemen, <laughs> is the match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels is damn good. Oh, uh, it's great. Yeah. These guys can't put on a bad match. Like Flair and Steamboat and like uh, Eddie and, and Dean, they know how to go. Even though they can't stand each other, they know how to put on a, a damn good match. And everything they were doing was exactly what they had gone over before. Now, because the other people knew that there was something that could go wrong, you'll notice if you see the replay over Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry Briscoe, Rene Goulet, all these former wrestlers are, are surrounding them in case something does go wrong. Uh, and when they go out in the crowd before the bell even rings and they bring them back in, um, everything was fine. But that was for their protection, more so for Shawn Michaels' protection, because if anything really did go down, you fear for Shawn Michaels' safety way before you fear for Bret Hart. Bret could hurt Shawn. Shawn couldn't hurt Bret. That's why Bret was prepared for a shoot, because he knows that Shawn couldn't, put it, put, couldn't, pin, him, couldn't pin his shoulders in a shoot and definitely couldn't make him tap out. So as long as Sean was cooperating, he didn't, have, he didn't think there was any problem. And he knew he had Earl Hebner to count his word that he can count on. So they went through the match. What was supposed to happen, Sean was going to get Brett in the sharpshooter. Brett was going to reverse it. Davey Boy and Jim Neidhart would storm the ring, followed by um, Triple H and China. They'd have a big smaz, double disqualification. They go on tomorrow night on Raw, title change, one or the other. Of course, that didn't happen because as soon as Sean put the the, the sharpshooter on Brett, and Sean did it wrong, Brett had to reposition his own legs to have Sean put the sharpshooter on him. You see him look up and go, wrong way. Wrong, wrong way. <laughs> and so Brett was helping him out because this is how the match was supposed to go. So, so when... And Earl didn't call for the bell. And Vince McMahon was screaming at Earl, ring the bell, ring the effing bell. And then when Earl finally did do it, because if Earl didn't do it, Vince was going to do it himself. And Earl feared fear for his job. He, he threw a call for the bell, ran out of the ring, out of the, out of the arena, to a waiting car, and took off. The only person that was ahead of him when he saw this finish was Jim Cornette because Jim Cornette just realized that they used his idea to screw Brett. So when Jim got in his car and he was convinced that he was going to get his ass beat, when he got in his car, and he thought he was being followed. He saw the headlights behind him. He thought, oh my God, the jig, the jig is up. It was Earl Hebner's car. Speeding past him. Speeding past him. <laughs> I'm out. I just like that Jim was like, he's sitting there watching the video. He goes, 
All right. And he gets, gets up and leaves. Right. Like, we're up done. Well, go, ahead, that, go ahead, go, go. Um, just real quick. Like, you're, you're a person I, I would love to hear the – both of you, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine a oh, universe – <laughs> Oh, shut up, Dan. I'm asking both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the universe where it doesn't go down. Yeah. What oh. What happens? <laughs> what happens? Uh, like, well, Brett the, leaves. Like, like, does WCW never dissolve? Like, I mean, like... like wait, wait, wait. Uh, Hold on. Explain if it doesn't go down. You mean if Vince can pay Brett, he doesn't job, have to like, leave, like, or, or the Drew screw job? No, no. no. The, the, the story he just told me where the brouhaha happens... Right, and the mm-hmm. next night we just lose the belt. Okay, and it gotcha. feels like Brett, Brett was on board with that, doesn't it? Am I am I insane in thinking that Brett seemed pretty on board with that? Yes. Brett yeah. I, I, like, go- for all intents and purposes, Brett Hart doesn't seem like a dick. Oh, what? Hold on. I've read his book. Brett Hart's kind of a dick. And I and I Bret Hart Bret Hart to me is the other Sting. I love Bret as much as I love Sting. You know how much of a Sting mark I was. He was my favorite. But I, I read know, his book, kind of a dick. Right, you throw me out. Got it. Yeah, no. and 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 with 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 uh, Bret and and Jim Cornette and, and even the, the other wrestlers will say this. Michaels was a prick. Everyone was on Bret's side. Yeah. <laughs> But but no, with Brett but like, not wanting to lose the belt in any in, in, in all the different scenarios they gave him, he kept shooting him down. No, 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 no. It just got harder and harder to work with him. Let's backtrack real quick, though. The reason yeah. why this started was because there was an incident. Was it about a year prior mm-hmm. where Brett went to Michaels after all the BS, put his hand out and said, Listen, whatever the differences between us, I'm paraphrasing. Whatever the differences are between us, you know I'll never screw you in the ring. I'll always do business. And as he shook his hand or didn't shake his hand, I can't remember that part, Sean says, that's a pity I'd never do the same for you. Yeah. So you already got – you already got – yeah, 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 that's in, yeah. The, that's in the documentary. And it's been – people found out later when – like it – for some reason, I've gone back to watch the, the Wrestling with Shadows and the subsequent stuff in the WWF. Nobody mentions that. And then all of a sudden, around mid-2000, Brett mentions that story, which has been corroborated. So it happened. Yes. Uh, and- so, so you've planted this reason of de- this seed of doubt already in Bret Hart's mind, who's back there going, no, I, f- why fuck, do you- fuck this guy. I'm not giving him why the belt you- on my way out. What? Why? Because Shawn Michaels was a pill popping jerk off. That's he, why. He was a prick. <laughs> yeah. Listen. And every, go ahead, Craig. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and and everyone to a man will say that. Even Shawn Michaels will tell you what a what a huge <laughs> prick he was. We and and he and Brett even corroborated that story on Dark Side of the Ring. He said, "I put my hand out and I and he said exactly what you said, Dan." And Shawn said, "Oh, I appreciate that, Brett, but I would not do the same for you." And that's where it was. So here's the thing about Sean. At that point, Sean Michaels yeah. has this constant dick measuring contest in the company because he's the other guy. It's Brett and it's Sean. That's it. Even with Taker there, it's Brett and Sean, right? Yeah. So you have this ego 
on top of the click being together before they obviously went to WCW, mm. you have this powder keg that's just waiting to go off. And this was it. This was the culmination of all that inflated ego, all of the back and forth, all of Vince not being a good boss and being, hey, assholes, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to your question, Mark, you said, what happens if the, if the screw job never happens? He goes on Raw, he drops the belt, and they move on. Uh, all the momentum's lost. Uh, WCW still dies. <laughs> yeah. Vince yeah. McMahon's not a thing, right? No. No, not at all. No, and the Mr. McMahon thing does not happen. That's why I, I preface like, this by saying – Stone Cold Steve Austin never effing happens? Not oh, like yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, it, it's, Stone Cold still happens, but not like that. No. Um, because there was no – there would be no Mr. McMahon to rebel about. Why I, I call this – is this the most important date in professional wrestling history because so many things happened after that. Vince McMahon is, is revealed as not just the announcer but the, the owner of the company. And now we, that was the first time we got to see him as the head. And that gave the, and he talked about Brett the next day on Raw with a black guy that Bret Hart gave him in the locker room. After he said, after the match, he said, Vince, when I'm at, if I'm going to take a shower, if you're still here, when I come out, I'm going to knock you out. And that's exactly what he did do. Uh, and the, in the Samaz, uh, Shane stepped with, whose ankle got sprained or broken with a chain? Vince, as he fell. fell. Yeah. Vince's uh, foot broke as he fell, taking the shot yeah, from Brett. Yeah. And he stepped on Sergeant Slaughter's uh, on uh, head uh, uh, on his foot. You see uh, the but, shot of him limping down the hallway and wrestling with shadows. The camera's yeah. kind of hidden, and all you mm-hmm. see is you hear Vince like, "Don't let the camera see me," and you just see him mm-hmm. hobbling after they got his dead, almost dead ass up. Off the and the next day on Raw, in his interview with uh, Jim Ross, he was very cold, very calculated, and. He, the immortal words, I didn't screw bread. Brett screwed bread. Yeah, it's all and, it's it's all there, man. And it gave the rise to the Mr. McMahon character. Little little more perspective for uh, Go Thompson, uh, and then back on track uh, mm-hmm. to what Craig said. Um, and then I will let Mark answer after that because I want to hear what Mark says. Uh, has to say, not said, has to say. Present tense, not past. Um, you have to remember... Uh, and I learned more about this through Kelly's uh, timeline of watching this when she used to watch wrestling a little more often than she does, which is zero now. Um, <laughs> no, no, nobody knew Vince was the guy. The Smarks knew Vince was the guy. In my brain, I knew. Okay. Right, right. I don't remember not but knowing was, either. But, but I remember not knowing. But for all intents and purposes, a lot of people didn't know. And this was the moment people found out, oh, got it. Yeah. Um, I wanted, there's three, there's one counterpoint. I, I wanted to bring up the counterpoint, which always, because you're right, Craig, about the reason he didn't want the repeat of the Medusa and the women's title on the trash bin. Yeah. But I always bring up, well, that's in response to years earlier when Vince had Ric Flair march out on was it Superstars? Yeah, yes. with the W with, with the big the old Andy, belt, man. With the WCW belt. <laughs> Everybody well, doesn't bring that up. I'm like, fuck you. Vince did it first with the belt, man. Well, the, and the asterisk Rick, be, yeah, the asterisk being Rick owned the belt. Oh no, I know that. No, yeah, I know yeah. that. But I, what I mean, I'm saying I, is, is Vince absolutely took advantage of that. It was like, put that on TV, Pally. Yeah. 
Thank you, That's uh, Mark. Okay, so um, all that being said, mm -hmm. um, is it does this in theory make Vince like is Vince like the greatest heel of all time? He's up there, um, and as far as a, a non wrestler goes, yes. Um, like, I, I, like he doesn't even have like really any face. Like like face persona like like every once in a while there's like face pops for him yeah but like isn't he the only heel that you can really name that's like always a heel no no he he was face a couple times after that I know yeah. like like but like cheap face like it's like it's like face pop and then he like yeah. immediately goes like if you had a if if you like if you look at someone's career mm -hmm. they were ninety percent heel. Because it's impossible to name anyone that was just heel their whole career. Yeah, the Sheik was. The was Iron Sheik? No, the original No, no, Sheik. original Sheik. The original oh, Sheik. the original. Well, nothing but heel. Okay. Well, that yeah. when, when was that? That was from the 60s all the way up until 1984. Uh, no, sorry, 94 with uh, ECW. Uh, but no, the, the Sheik was, and in my opinion, only because... The amount of gates that he drew and the amount of heat that he got for an extended period of his career from Detroit to Toronto to uh, Michigan to Indiana to Texas, uh, the Sheik was – and for a 10-year period in Toronto, he was undefeated. And fans came out just to see him lose, um, to see him get beat, to see anyone do anything to the Sheik. Uh, he was a big. He's the greatest heel of all time. Only I would put Piper over him, only because. But Piper was a face. Uh, was faced quite a bit. McMahon, obviously, Mr. McMahon is one of the greatest heels of all time. One of the greatest heel characters of all time. Top but, ten. Top ten. Yes. Uh, but spe specifically because this was not the intent. Th this was not the intent. Mr. McMahon was never supposed to be a central character. In any way, shape, or form, in WWE, he but didn't was he want to be the, the elite announcer. Man? No, he already is a million dollar man. He no, no, he didn't want to be a million man. dollar man. Okay. He, he is a million dollar man. Um, but Vince McMahon, if everything was going to plan, he was going to be the announcer and then slowly transition himself to behind the scenes because he had enough announcers. And by and at this point, Shane was already a referee. So he was going to make his way toward the same way that Vince did, from referee to being behind the belt, behind the the mic, to um to, but Shane just like his dad, always wanted to be one of the boys, wanted to get in the ring. So when Vince became the Mr. McMahon character following the Bret Hart Montreal screw job, he also got to live out his fantasy of being in the ring because that's <laughs> what Vince always wanted to do. Because if you saw Vince throughout his commentary career. Any chance he got to take a bump like one of the boys, he was ecstatic. The very first manager of the year contest in 1977 when Arnold Skolin won over Lou Albano. And they had a big giant trophy in the middle of the ring. And Arnold and Lou Albano took it and hit Arnold Skolin and Vince McMahon with the trophy. And they both took a flip over the top rope. That was Vince's first bump. When Ric Flair came to the WWE in his feud with Roddy Piper, and he knocked Piper out and Vince on the uh, on the color commentary. Piper got up, went to swing a chair, 
at Ric Flair and missed and hit Vince square in the back. Vince goes down. That's his second bump. So all this is stuff that Vince just wanted to do. Wow. He never would have gotten that chance had Bret Hart and the Montreal Screwjob not happened. What still would have happened, though, Bret Hart had, had been a peaceful transition of power. Where have you heard that before? And yeah. Bret Hart uh, left the WWE without the belt and gone to WCW. WCW still would have messed it up because of who was in charge there. Because rather than have Bret Hart come into the Sting versus Hulk Hogan match as a referee, why not Bret Hart come in and said, hey, I'm still world champion. I was never beaten. Let's make this a triple threat. And there you have your license to print money. Sting, who had been a year without without speaking, finally gets his hand on Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And here's Bret Hart debuting for the first time fresh off uh, he's the most popular wrestler on earth fresh off the montreal screw job never beaten for the championship yep. and he served wcw on a on a silver platter there but of course he no they bring him in as a referee so so many things could have gone but all what? the ripple effects I, all I, happened november 9th 1997 i i i, I want to say mark before you go on no um, oh, please Yes, that is the most important day in wrestling history. Um, yes, I will say it's the most important day in wrestling because oh, it totally sets off the the WCW thing that doesn't work out, and that eventually is the beginning of the end for them with the Bret Hart thing, uh, the start of Mr. McMahon, the Mr. McMahon Stone Cold feud that then elevates WWF absolutely is in every way possible. And also, I just want to reiterate, if you think it's work, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking. Uh, I would, yeah, this, uh, November 9th, 1997, I put alongside January 23rd, 1984, uh, Hulk Hogan's win uh, against Iron Sheik for the WWF Championship as the two most important dates in professional wrestling history in that it Which not was only- also a work, right? Yes, that was a work. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik. But in both in both instances, they both not only changed the company, the WWF, but changed every company around them. Because uh, just like with the Montreal Screwjob, not only changed the WWF, it changed WCW uh, and the way business was dealt. But January 23rd, 1984, not only changed the WWF, but changed professional wrestling because not only did that mean that WWF was on top of professional wrestling, Everyone, the NWA, the AWA, world-class, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Florida. I mean, when Hogan was champion the same year that the Road Warriors debuted. So professional wrestling and cable TV just was a perfect storm. So I put those two dates, November 9th, 1997, and January 23rd, 1984, as the two biggest dates in professional wrestling history. Go, go. Oh, I thought I thought he had more to add. Yeah, no. Go ahead, close out the wrestling historian, sir. I can't think of a better way to close it out. I intentionally had November 9th as the last date on this edition of Wrestling Historian because, like you just said, Dan, it's the most important date in professional wrestling history. Uh, Shockwave still being felt 23 years later, 23 years this week in uh, Montreal. Those of you who were fortunate enough to see it live when it happened, I have friends who were like, what did we just see? Was that supposed to happen? 
Um, I, I said, no. Brett spitting on Vince right there on camera. No, that's not supposed to happen. It live and, and not having uh, the internet that we have now and having to find out in some ways, like days later, what actually happened after the camera stopped rolling and Brett spelling WCW in the air. I didn't find that out till like a week later. Or if you if you got to email other people on fan sites that were actually in Montreal, because pre-internet 1997 kids, news traveled slow. You didn't hear it right away. You had to hear it. You had to wait a couple of days. Yeah, and, um, and who knew that Canada had email then? Yes. I still don't know that. I think they just I, got I, it. They, they might not. I mean, they, they yeah. still love hockey. Yeah. But uh, November 9th, 1997, uh, the most important day in professional wrestling history. Uh, WWE Survivor Series, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, a date which will live in infamy. And that is a wrestling historian. And with that being said, go Thompson. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. Go Thompson. I interrupted the host. I'm you sorry. Nobody, li- nobody, nobody listens to me no, or him. Nobody listens, nobody listens to me. You pointed at me. I did. Oh, I'm pointing at you now. What? What the? Where the fuck do people awesome. follow you on social media? Go Thompson at Arm Drag PC. Both of them. That was the. That was the. Like that was so much fun. Yeah. Well, guess what? No. Just wait. Listen. Oh, okay. That was amazing. This guy's a fountain of unicorn unicornic knowledge. Unicornic knowledge. <laughs> I'm stealing. I wish we could bottle him and sell him at liquor stores. <laughs> Uh, you can't. No, 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 no. Because as soon as, the, as, soon as he says so high, his potency would be so high, we can just put him in a supermarket. <laughs> that wrestling kind of that, that kind of wrestling knowledge, you can't just release that to the general public. You have to be twenty one or older to have that shit. Well, I would like to for people to start paying me for this. Yes. Well, yeah, if thanks. you want to be fifteen and learn it, you just tune in. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> then it's the end game. Okay, well, f- Craig, where can the people follow your wrestling knowledge and unicorn Nick knowledge? Well, in most fine liquor stores, um, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find me on the shelves there under the name Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Uh, do not exceed over two tablespoons or consult a doctor for that. <laughs> I've been told by many, I was told by a, a good friend once uh, who I no longer talk to because he refers to uh, Craig's race as the blacks. Oh, no. Okay. Well, that so wasn't that quick. We don't talk anymore, but years ago, he did tell me that I was ye- like a Jägermeister, only good in small doses. So <laughs> if we were on a liquor store, people would buy Craig more than they bought me. So follow me. <laughs> that means that I prank. A, a, a gallon of you in a bar one time. Oh, well, one I time. hope I tasted good. Nobody's ever complained before. Follow me on Twitter at Daylight83. Hey! HIC <laughs> uh, uh, Talk Radio is at, you guessed, Facebook and Twitter at HIC Talk Radio. Uh, go to VLCNation.com for all the podcasts in the VLC Nation radio network. If you're on your smartphone and you want to listen to us, go to your podcast app and type in VOC Nation Radio Network or watch the shows live on twitch.tv slash Dan Lottie 3 or on YouTube. 
com slash Dan Line 3 the next day. For Craig Lagans and for Mark Go Thompson, I'm the above average comedian, Dan Kalchenko. We'll see you next week. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We've excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network.